You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Hello, everybody. Welcome back for a new edition of This Week at the Movies, right here on the Scheist Podcast. My goal is to stay consistent with this for a little while, see how it goes. Uh, I would like to do it all year. It's going to be challenging, because I do have the Bad Movies We Love podcast, which releases on Fridays, so a lot of time goes into that. I'm doing the release radar for the website also, which is coming out on Fridays, and so I wanted this to be sort of a companion for that, but here I am for the second week in a row on Saturday recording in the afternoon after Film Club. So without further ado, let's take a look back at the weekend film from January 8th to the 12th, 2024. If you weren't with me last week, that's okay, I totally understand. But part of what I am trying to accomplish here in the last uh, couple days of this week is to cram as much 2023 stuff that I missed into these few days and I feel like I'm not quite going to get there but I narrowed it down from about 15 to like seven or eight and I'll probably be able to scratch off another couple before I get to the end of Sunday so I'm hopeful but we started this week January 8th uh, at home was going to go out to the theaters to check something out, but instead I decided to stay home and check out Rustin, which I'd been putting off for a while. Directed by George C. Wolfe, written by Julian Brees and Dustin Lance Black, starring Coleman Domingo, Chris Rock, Glenn Turman, Amal Amin, CCH Pounder, Jeffrey Wright, and many, many more. This film tells the story of civil rights activist and organizer Bayard Rustin as he is trying to organize the 1963 March on Washington, which at the time was the biggest uh, protest or civil gathering, I should say, in U.S. history, and it still might be the biggest. And I was excited about this movie because I've been a fan of Coleman Domingo for a while and I've wanted to see him get the opportunity to do more leading work like this. And so in that regard, I think this was a good role for him to showcase his talents. I think ultimately as a film, it's not what I... I hesitate to say expected because I didn't really have expectations for this. But... It was different than a lot of other period pieces about historic figures in terms of its tone. And a lot of that comes down to some of the music decisions that happen throughout the movie. And it gives a sort of upbeat, lighthearted pacing and energy to the part of this film that is focused on the grassroots movement and the organizing of such a large event and the team of people that it takes to pull all that together. But when it comes down to really leaning into this character and the history with the NAACP and with Martin Luther King Jr., 
I feel like it pulls its punches a little bit because on the one hand, it is a story about civil rights, freedom, justice for all people. On the other hand, it is telling the story of this character who was sort of shunned from his own community of black activists because he was gay. And it does seem like there's a more critical, heavier-handed approach to the criticism of the NAACP's rejection of this man at the time. And while it's there, it's just a little bit quicker and lighter and maybe easier to digest for the average uh, Netflix public. Not a bad movie by any means, just feel like it didn't quite reach the level of success that I think it could have. Eh. Who am I to judge? Anyway, the next movie that I ventured out to the theaters for this past week was uh, Wonka. The Willy Wonka prequel, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory prequel, uh, directed by Paul King, written by Simon Farnaby, Paul King, and uh, originally based on the idea by Roald Dahl, starring Timothy Chalamet, Olivia Coleman, Kala Lane, Tom Davis, Patterson Joseph, and Keegan-Michael Key. I had gone into this movie essentially exhausting all of my other theatrical options at the time. I had seen the Color Purple remake, or new adaptation of, and the only thing left in theaters was Anyone But You, and so far I'm just not interested in seeing that, so Wonka at least gave me the idea that it was going to be colorful, and at the very least it was going to try to be entertaining, and I think ultimately it succeeds in that. Now, there was a lot of complaints that this movie was a musical, that it wasn't properly advertised as such, and that people that walked in were not expecting a musical. Now, if you've seen the original Willy Wonka, it's a musical. If you've seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it's also a musical. So if you walk into this movie and you don't understand that it's going to be a musical, I think that's a little bit on you, but the advertising did also hide that intentionally. For what it's worth, I think Chalamet can sing pretty well, but I also understand being hesitant to give him any grace in that regard. But the movie's got a ton of excellent production design. The costumes are fantastic. And ultimately, like, the movie is unserious. And I mean that as a compliment, because it's allowed to have fun with the idea that it presents. I mean, if you look at characters like Olivia Coleman's Innkeeper and Tom Davis's Bleacher, he's like a ruffian of some kind. And then if you look at like Patterson Joseph and Matt Lucas and Matthew uh, Bainton, who play the quote unquote chocolate cartel, like this is a movie with a mafia based around chocolate and Keegan-Michael Key is a police officer who gets paid in chocolate and has such a sweet tooth that he you know eats himself basically into obesity at some point and 
This is a movie that has fun with the simplicity of its idea and the color and the style. And I feel like that also lends itself to this sort of side story about this unlikely family, this band of friends that come together in uh, Abacus Crunch, Lottie Bell, uh, Noodle, and we've got who else? Oh, there's a comedian in there, but I, I don't see him listed at a glance, so I'm not going to fight too hard for it, but it allows this story with these characters to unfold in a way that the stuff that is emotional when it wants to be at the end actually I think worked because it's done such a good uh, job of disarming you along the way making you think that it's only going to be this irreverent colorful comedy but when it gets down to the nitty gritty and it needs to pull on some emotional chords in order to really deliver the heart of what the message is it doesn't dwell there for long but I think it strikes those chords well enough to make it work and to get the point across and to bring the movie home in the end where it needs to be. And this movie also has Rowan Atkinson, you know, known as Mr. Bean, most famously. And it's overall pretty enjoyable, to be honest. You know, I didn't I didn't regret my decision to go. And I'm glad that I managed to see it while it was in theaters because... The scale of the production design actually deserves it. After getting home that night, decided to throw on Are You There God? It's Me, Margaret, directed by Kelly Freeman Craig, written by Kelly Freeman Craig and Judy Bloom, who I believe was the author of the original novel. It's one of the movies that was very highly regarded during the first half of the year, and was one that I'd never gotten around to. It's not a book that I read as a kid, but it's a book that my wife read, and she was very interested in it. I like Rachel McAdams. I was interested to see what Benny Safdie was going to do, given this dad role, which I hadn't seen from him before. Plus, we get Kathy Bates in here as well, so good overall cast. And for the most part, it lived up to the hype. It's... A movie that I don't know for myself personally if it's one of my favorite movies of the year. If I had to step back and be as objective as possible, I don't think I would have it ranked amongst the best films of the year either, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It's actually quite good. It does what it wants to do very well, and it hangs its hat on its genuine emotion, its earnestness, and it is a feel-good movie in that way, a coming-of-age story that really doesn't get ever to be that bad, nothing like a My Girl situation, and although Rachel McAdams is good, I, for me it wasn't uh, like best actress caliber kind of performance like the first half of the year uh, Buzz would have suggested. I think maybe in a different year, yes, but also so much of this movie comes down to the performance of Abby Ryder Fortson as Margaret, and it's really her movie, and the strength of her performance makes this as relatable as it is, and 
you know, with the focus being on the teenage girl, there's always going to be a little bit of tension with the mom. And obviously the mom has her own stuff going on in this story. And I think it's executed well, but balance wise for me, I just think Fortson is far and away the star of this film, the heart of this film. And uh, I hope she gets her flowers for it. Definitely going to have to consider her for the Scheist Awards for Breakthrough Performer of the Year. As I continued to check boxes the next morning, I threw on Priscilla, which I had not been able uh, to get around to prior. And then I kind of resigned myself to the idea that maybe I just wasn't going to catch it and it wasn't that important in terms of my overall picture of the 2023 year that I'm building in my head. But in hindsight, I'm really glad that I actually did stop and make time for this. Uh, directed by Sofia Coppola, written by Priscilla Presley, Sandra Harmon, and Sofia Coppola, starring Kaylee Spaney, Jacob Elordi, Ari Cohen, and Dagmara Dominic. Certainly in comparison to Baz Luhrmann's Elvis film, this is a very different depiction of the character. And it's a very negative depiction of this character and the way that he is shown to be domineering, controlling, abusive, uh, dismissive. It's really a stark contrast to the other film. And I think it's probably a good thing to maybe watch them together because stylistically as films, they're very different and the portrayals are very different. But here we get an Elvis who is grooming a young Priscilla to be his woman while meanwhile still having his career and everything that he wants. And I mean, Jacob Elordi is good. He didn't strike me as like Elvis in this movie, but it was a solid performance. And at the end of the day, it's really Kaylee Spaney's movie anyway, and she's great in it. And I just want to point out a couple of things about the style of this filmmaking, because Sofia Coppola is a very adept filmmaker who does a lot of things with intention, but does them subtly, so they're not just beating you over the head. And so much of this film's design choices really hit home with that. Just a couple of those examples are the fact that uh, Jacob Elordi is 6'5", and you know Elvis was six feet tall, and Priscilla was 5'4", and Kaylee is only 5'1". So you take the height disparity between the two, and you amplify that to where not only is the idea of Elvis this iconic, huge personality, but then on screen with the two of them, he is this just massive physical presence in comparison to Priscilla. And another one of those choices comes down to a wardrobe decision. And it's the first time that Priscilla is going to meet Elvis, I believe. And she's wearing a necklace, but it's like a silk ribbon choker with a gold heart. And, you know, considering that this is about a relationship that is toxic, that is abusive. I can't, I can't help but acknowledge that Sophia made that a very conscious choice to represent this choker with a heart on it. 
So I really ended up enjoying this one a lot just based on its craftsmanship, craftspersonship behind the camera, because uh, Sophia is a very good filmmaker. I enjoy her work, and I think this is another example of probably not quite yet, but maybe like 10 years from now, we'll be looking back at stuff like this in a career retrospective for her, and hopefully she'll get that recognition a little bit further down the line if she doesn't get it immediately for this. After Priscilla in the morning, I followed it up with Michael Franco's Memory in the Evening, starring Jessica Chastain, Peter Sarsgaard, Brooke Timber, uh, Josh Charles is the only other person I really recognize from the cast. But this is about uh, a man with dementia and a woman dealing with the trauma of her past. And really, I mean, that's kind of just on the surface. For me, this is a film that is about how memory is a different amorphous thing to different people. Because for one character whose memory is not stable, it is this very precarious situation for him. Yet he seems to be mostly joyful and happy despite his situation. On the other hand, you have Jessica Chastain's character who is a recovering alcoholic who's in AA and she is just haunted by her past constantly. And there's a moment of confrontation between the two that seems like it's going to be the sticking point for the whole film and it doesn't end up being that way. But it does end up becoming the story of these two people who are both dealing with the repercussions and the consequences of what they remember and what they don't and what that means to each of their lives and as they come together they realize that there is a shared but separate burden between the two of them and I kept waiting for the other shoe to fall I kept waiting for it to sort of hit that patch of ice where it gets really bad and everything sort of derails but it stayed the course and ended up being a sweet and heartfelt look at being able to kind of get your life back even though as an adult maybe in your 40s you feel like this is something that maybe got away from me and I'm past the point of no return but I like that this messaging is about it never being too late to rectify some of those wrongs of the past. Well, after some of the heavier, lifting, more serious films, I decided to go ahead and check out The Beekeeper on Thursday morning. Well, Thursday afternoon, technically, and that is David Ayer's latest film written by Kurt Wimmer, starring Jason Statham, Emmy Raver-Lapman, Bobby Naderi, Josh Hutcherson, and Jeremy Irons. And don't forget Mini Driver and Felicia Rashad as well. Now for some reason, the knee-jerk reaction to this movie seems to be saying that it's dumb. You know, and it's not. I get that the idea of the beekeeper who actually keeps bees is a little weird, maybe a little bit like on the nose, but in terms of this being a John Wick style film by David Ayer, like David Ayer always makes serious movies for the most part. So 
To call this dumb or not thoughtful I think is a massive oversight here, and especially when you consider the context of the film. This is a character who, yes, is like retired special forces and even more super secret than anything the CIA knows about, etc, etc. But really, this is a man who has never been taken care of, never been nurtured. And so he finally finds that kind of relationship with a lady who's retired and they're just living a peaceful life. And then she gets scammed, gets all her money taken commit suicide which is all in the trailer by the way and he goes on a revenge tour to eliminate these people that prey on the weak now to me this seems like a very easy motivator for everybody to get behind and especially the way that air portrays the sort of smug tech bro fraternity style mentality of the people running these scammy call centers, it makes it very easy to cheer for Jason Statham to beat the shit out of a bunch of these guys and then kill all the stragglers. And if I ever get tired of watching Jason Statham beat the crap out of people, then just put a fork in me. I'm done at that point. But I do want to point out that one of the best things about this movie in comparison to something like a John Wick is that the physicality of Jason Statham brings a lot to the role. And that's no disrespect to Keanu Reeves, but Statham is a much more trained hand-to-hand -hand combat stylist, especially when it comes to film, than Keanu is. So a lot of John Wick's uh, combat design is designed to like hide some of those weaknesses where I feel like in this movie it's meant to amplify Statham's strengths in that way, and I feel that it does. You know, I'm looking now and it only has a 55 Metascore, and that's just way too low. I mean, if you go into this and you don't like it, then you just don't like these kind of movies in general, and you're not really willing to give it any grace there. I would say the only big detraction that I had from it was sort of like the FBI side story, because you do get this FBI agent who was the daughter of the woman that Jason Statham is working to avenge. Yet, for some reason, she just wants to get in his way all the time. She wants to stop him just for the FBI because she's got a sense of duty, even though they don't really establish why she should care that much and she's got other people around her saying like why don't you just like let him do what he needs to do so people that are not even her can see that from the outside looking in but she like him or at least uh emmy raver latman's character agent parker much like statham's adam clay they are both sort of bound by the duties of their position and so i think it runs that parallel that way but a lot of like the humor that is trying to be injected into this film through that FBI side investigation just feels like it's trying a little bit too hard, I would say, because Josh Hutcherson is a good, smug, bratty villain in this, and you get to have a lot of fun just watching him be a prick, and David Witz also fills that role really, really well. So you add in Jeremy Irons to be the, the dad figure who is more serious and I think you have enough there without even needing the FBI side of the story at all, but 
at the end of the day, it is what it is. I still liked it, and I hope we get to see more beekeeping in the future. And then in the evening, in order to check another box and cross off something that I didn't get to see earlier in the year, I watched Blue Jean, uh, directed and written by Georgia Oakley, starring Rosie McEwen, Carrie Hayes, and Lucy Holiday. It, I believe, is a UK film, and it is mostly about a PE coach who is a closeted lesbian in the UK in the 80s when there is a lot of media coverage about the destruction of the nuclear family and how the government basically in the media is going to be very anti-gay and how this character has to be very careful about how she leads her life but she is also surrounded by a group of friends that are out and are proud and she has to walk a very fine line because she works at a school where she can't acknowledge that and then a new student comes into the picture that is also gay and there's tension there it's not sexual tension but it is tension because they sort of know each other's secret and it puts both of them in a more dangerous position but it is an interesting look at just the atmosphere in the country at the time and honestly I think Rosie McEwen gives one of the best performances of the year and so does Carrie Hayes playing her girlfriend possibly wife they said married at one point but I don't know if that was like a legal marriage if that was more of like a here's you're married illegally under the relationship that we understand it but very very good performance is a well told story a well acted story a very well written story as well and just something about the filming quality of this actually just is captivating like it's fairly quiet but at the same time it lets you as the viewer just simmer in this environment and it is tense and you know that it's supposed to be tense in moments and I don't know I really thought it was pretty good it's on Hulu right now it's got an 87 Metascore so that's really freaking high and it's got a 7 out of 10 on IMDb which is pretty good amongst the user scores as well I don't know end of the year stuff like is this going to be considered one of the best international films of the year because I think it probably should be in the conversation but honestly international films this year that is a juggernaut of a category and if I had to step back and be as objective as possible and like list the hundred best films of the year, right? I would say that the international films, there's going to be a bunch of those in the top 20. And there may even be more of those in the top 20 for me than uh, domestic releases this year. So it's been a great year for international features. And I think this is another one that just goes to show how strong of a year that actually is. And of course, I'm talking about 2023. And so the last thing I needed to do for the week was watch a movie for my film club. And we're doing all movies from the 2020s. And I picked Leo Carax's Annette, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard and Simon Helberg. And this was written by Sparks Brothers, Ron and Russell Mile. 
And this is a crazy, crazy movie. Um, if I had an all-decade team of films, that one might be on it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I would definitely check it out. It's challenging in a number of ways, but it's got great music. It's got really excellent performances. It looks amazing. It makes some really, really bold choices. So I would say consider it. Uh, but that's how my week went. I wasn't even going to talk about Annette because it's from 2021, but I think it's new enough and probably unseen enough to the point where if you're listening to this and you want to roll the dice on something, roll the dice on Annette. It's on Amazon Prime right now. And that's all I got for you. So if you're listening to this now, please tell somebody if you like it. Uh, you can reach out to me. I'll put that stuff in the show notes if you want to tell me something that I need to change to make this better or to make it something you want to hear more. If you want me to cover more stuff that has not come out quite yet and sort of be looking a little bit more forward, we can do that too. But until next time, thanks for listening. Take care. And I hope at least one of these movies you uh, take a chance on. Thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode, and please remember that the opinions expressed on this show are just that. If you like what you heard, I still believe word of mouth is the best way to help, so please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and rating the show help out a lot, too. This show is an extension of thescheist.com, and you can contact me at info at thescheist.com or at scheistpodcast on Twitter. And as usual, be well, stay safe, and have fun no matter how you get your movies. Bye.